Father, we thank you so much that you have made us your children, that you have brought us to yourself. We ask, God, that you would grant us, again, childlike faith to hear your word and to see your word and to know know what it is that you have accomplished for us and where that has traction and meaning and depth and magnitude uh, in our life. We pray, Father, for your glory uh, in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I uh, look out uh, here tonight, um, I see a bunch of folks who are uh, really um, lovely and talented and uh, good-looking and um, and just really have it all together. And um, and so it may uh, come as a surprise to you that, that life really doesn't always go the way that we want it to. Um, you know, you, you can follow seven steps to being highly effective, or you can walk confidently in the direction of your dreams, but there are just some times where life uh, gets overwhelming or disappointing. Uh, you know, it's something at... It's something at work or school, something with your kids or your spouse, or you're looking for work, or you're looking for a spouse, or you wish you had kids. We're not satisfied with what life gives us. And sometimes that's an us problem. Sometimes that's because we're selfish. But sometimes... There is very good reason to be disappointed with what uh, life gives us. Something really bad happens. Something really unfair. Something really wrong. uh, Something beyond our capacity to handle. And if that just happens to be you or probably someone you know uh, tonight, um, the letter to the Hebrews has a great balm. Two um, instances of one little word, uh, the word but, in this passage. So I just want to um, talk about those, the word but, and see how the author of Hebrews, we don't know who it was who wrote it, um, but they saw fit to include it in the canon of Scripture because it is uh, the Word of God. So it starts out, in many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by a son. So in verse 1, we see that God spoke, that God has always desired uh, from of old to uh, speak and to speak to His children, His people. God does not want to to be and never has desired to be far off. God wants to speak. He wants to be heard. He has something important and and He has the authority and the power that that we should listen to. But the message never really got through and so He had to speak in many ways and in various ways over and over again. Over a long period of time. And the way he did that was uh, by the prophets. And I, when I think of the prophets, I think of long gray beards and leathery skin and tunics and, um, and, 
you know, these, these sort of, um, they were emissaries, they were harbingers, they were uh, preachers of, of, in many ways, of doom and gloom. They were firebrands. They, uh, you know, you, you could just, I, you see in the pages of Scripture that when the prophet comes, everybody's like, oh no, here he comes again. You know, I just think of Nahum climbing the steps, you know, and just thinking, what is he, what is he going to say? Or, uh, Eli- here comes Elisha, Ugh, you know, which um, for some people was, was gr- a word of great hope, but, but for the vast majority, they, they turned their backs on what the prophets uh, had to say. Over and over again, God tried to speak, tried to speak his word to his people. And he did that for centuries, generations, such that the testimony of the people of God, the chosen and elect, were that they could not hear what God had to say. Their sin uh, was too much of a barrier. But, the author of Hebrews says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. And so we see that it's God still desires to speak. He still speaks, but now He speaks by a Son. Before, it was many prophets, many in various ways, but now, in His Son, singular. Because the message is complete. The message is full. This is the uh, parable of the wicked tenants. Do you remember that in Matthew uh, 21, where uh, Jesus tells the story of, of the the man who hires out his vineyard and then uh, uh, to, to some tenants. And then after a while, the, the grapes grow up and he sends uh, messenger after messenger saying, give, give me what is due to me. And they, they, kill, they kill all these messengers. And he says, finally, uh, I will send my son. And that's what the author is saying now. Of course, they, they didn't do well with the son either. And often uh, we, we don't either, but the... Uh, the the the, diff- the difference is overwhelming. He's, these aren't. He's not a hired hand. He is. He's the son of 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 God. He is here with authority, and the message is uh, complete. Now, the difference. The di- one of the differences is that the me- the, uh, the messengers, the prophets, they spoke the word of God, but the son, he is the word of God. He's the eternal Word. He was there. You know, in the very first, you go all the way back to page 1, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. Jesus was, was there. He's the eternal Word. He was there before that. He was there in the beginning. He is the very expression of God. But He is the incarnate Word. He is God with skin on. He is the expression of what God wanted us to know about Him. And the author of Hebrews tells us some amazing things as you go through about this son, this new way that God has spoken uh, to his people. He says, he is the heir of all things. That means everything that you own, and we're going to hear a little bit about that in just a little while, um, that everything you think you own is actually legally his. The Taj Mahal, legally his. The moon, legally his. The Atlantic Ocean, my children, all legally His. He is the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. John tells us in his Gospel that nothing was created without Jesus or apart from Christ. 
Jesus reflects the glory of God. And He bears the very stamp of His nature. It means that what we see in God is true about Jesus. What we see in Jesus is true about God. And so, we see in God, we see the one who made up hurricanes and grizzly bears and earthquakes and shooting stars. And we see in Jesus, the one who comforted the woman who was caught in adultery. The woman who wept, uh, the man who wept over, over the death of Lazarus. And the man who rebuked the disciples for dismissing the children and said, please, let the little children come to me. He bears the nature, the very stamp of the nature of God, which means all those things which are true about Jesus are true about God the Father. And vice versa. He upholds the universe by His word of power. If you think you have uh, ever brushed with power, if you ever met the President of the United States at a rally, if you... uh, Brush, if you saw a celebrity in a restaurant, you ain't seen nothing. <laughs> Jesus upholds the universe with a word. The word of His power. He is the purification for our sins, the author of Hebrews says. And, and what, the people, what the Hebrews who read this, they, what they would have understood was that uh, the high priest makes atonement for all the people. That's the way it's always been. And, and the high priest, uh, is sort of on behalf of all the people, uh, kills the, uh, the unblemished lamb and puts them on the altar. So it took a high priest and an unblemished lamb, but Jesus is both of those. He is the high priest. He is the unblemished lamb. He made purification for our sins, which means He died for you and He died for me. And for all the things that overwhelm us and all the things that separate us from God and all of our sins and all the sins that we don't even know we have because our culture says they're okay. And everything that Jesus atoned for, uh, He put Himself, the unblemished land, on the, on the altar. And took upon Himself His own wrath that we might have a relationship with God. And when that was over and He defeated death and He rose again, He He went on high and sat at the right hand of the majesty of God. His very agent. His right hand. Just as He was the agent of creation. And He is superior uh, to the angels. And so we look at all these things just one, bam, 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 just after another. And I don't know about you, but you just think, just, just wow. Just, I mean, how could I how can I not offer this person who is described here, how is that person not worthy of uh, my everything, uh, my praise? In fact, the author goes on to say that everything, this is in, uh, and I'm down on verse 8, uh, a little bit lower, it says, putting everything in subjection under His feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to Him, He left nothing outside of His control means He is sovereign and all things work to the good of those who love the Lord because everything is under His control. 
And He knows what's going on in your life and He knows what's going on in my life. And He's going to use those things for good, even the things that are bad. His mad, the majesty of His redemption is, is beyond, really, our comprehension. So great, so magnificent is His power. The author says, um, he left nothing uh, outside of his control, but as it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And that's where we, that's where we live. And that's where I began my sermon. That things don't go the way we want them to go. Sometimes they... Sometimes we aren't in subjection to Him. And that's why we don't like the way things are going because we go in our own way and we want, we want things uh, to go like we want them to go, but they're going the way God wants them to go. And, and that, that irritates us. And sometimes we do everything we can to follow the Lord and things still are out of control in our lives. And we're tempted into thoughts like, God, if you were good, then you wouldn't have let this thing happen. Um. If you were powerful, then you wouldn't have let this thing happen. How could you be good and powerful and let this happen? You might be one or the other, but could you possibly be both? And people, I mean, philosophers have struggled with that question for years. Not years. Centuries. Millennia. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. And if I look around my life, I know that that is true. But, but we see Jesus. And everything is topsy-turvy. Now there are some times in life when things are great. And we praise God for those seasons. But there are seasons in life where things are unbalanced. When there is a lack of peace. When we're tempted to question it's okay to question. We don't see everything in a subjection to Him. And we don't know how possibly He is going to work all things for the, to the glory of His name and for the good of His people. But we see Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. I don't know what hand you've been dealt. And I don't know what cards you're playing right now. But I know... You probably have a full house. (laughs) When things aren't in subjection to Him, we see Jesus. And friends, He is the heir of all things. And He is uh, the one through whom all things were created. And He reflects the very glory of God. So much so that He bears the very stamp of His nature. He upholds the universe, even our unbalanced, by a word of His power. St. Paul said that in Him all things hold together. We do not see everything in subjection to Him. But we see Jesus. Amen.